And uh, we're actually going to be at the last sermon that we're going to have for this series. And I know some of y'all are like, Phil, I never thought we'd ever get through Acts. And so I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. But uh, we've been in Acts for quite, quite a few months. And, and we finally reached the last chapter of Acts. And uh, I think it's very fitting where we fell last week. If you were here with us, and if you weren't here with us, I encourage you maybe to go online and our church website and maybe listen to the message there. Uh, we looked last week at Acts 27 and the idea of when all hope is lost. And we looked at the idea last week in Acts 27. We got the story of the shipwreck, the storm that Paul faced. And it says that everybody on the ship got to a point where they felt like the storm was too much. They were going to be overwhelmed and that all hope was going to be lost. And we looked at how we can get through in our lives and storms when all hope is lost. And if you weren't here, I encourage you, if you can, to go and uh, possibly uh, listen to that. Maybe be a blessing to you. But then we come to this, this day, this New Year's Day, not New Year's Day, but first Sunday of the new year. And uh, we finish in the book of Acts, and I'm excited about here reading that in just a moment. As Brother Will said, uh, we're having our missions conference coming up this week. And I know it's a little uh, soon, sooner than we normally do. Uh, but we have a missionary couple that we support, Dan and Carmen Rogers. They're no relation to me at all. Uh, Dan and Carmen, uh, they're missionaries, second-generation missionaries in Merida, Mexico. And uh, they'll be with us. Some of you know them. They're some of the first missionaries we took on when we came here. Uh, great couple. And uh, they're doing wonderful things for the Lord down there in Mexico. And uh, the way the schedule fell, uh, they're going to only be able to be with us this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So a little bit different. So just uh, something for you to pray about if you can be here for it is on Friday night we'll have a service in here at 7 o'clock. And I encourage you if you can to come, be a part of that service. Uh, Brother Dan will be preaching and doing some things there, doing some presenting about their work, their ministry for the last five or six, year, five or six years there in Mexico. And I always think it's good anytime someone you support and pray for, you get the opportunity to see them and the ministry they're doing. Now on Saturday is going to be a little different. Uh, Brother Dan's ministry there. Uh, he says, you really have a hard time just saying we're going to have church and people coming to church. I was like, yeah, it's starting to get harder that way in the States as well. But he says it started out for what we call personal evangelism, meaning this. On Saturday from at 11 o'clock starting, he's going to do two little sessions with us. We'll have lunch in the middle. And it's going to be in this idea. How do I talk to somebody about Jesus? How do I talk to somebody about Jesus? Now, I can guess that in your life, there's probably many things that make you a little bit nervous, a little bit uneasy. And, you know, probably all of us have at some point have been a little nervous. So how do you talk to somebody about Christ, whether it's a stranger, whether it's somebody you love? But how do I talk to someone about Jesus? And Brother Dan does an excellent job of, of just kind of how he does it and where he's at in his neck of the world and talking about how to talk to people about who Jesus is. And we're going to do that starting at 11. And then we're going to have lunch in the middle of it. And the lunch I'm looking forward to, because this seems to always go well each year, we're going to have our chili cook-off. And I'll, I know some of y'all get extremely excited about chili. And uh, I know that there was a lot of excitement last year when we did it, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, all that good things that we had. A lot of fun, but we're going to have lunch. And so what we're going to do, if you're going to bring a, uh, a thing of chili, you can bring it just to have. You want to enter into the, the contest. We're not, we're not having a chili eating contest, okay? Some of y'all were like super excited thinking, well, bring that on. No, we're doing a chili cook-off. You get chili. We'll, we'll have the fixings of different things. But if you're going to bring chili, that'd be great. Let myself know or, or Rachel know about that if you're going to bring it. And if you're not going to be able to bring uh, chili, if you could bring something else like a dessert or something like that, let us know. We just want to plan appropriately. We hate to get there and have one bowl of chili and everybody staring at it. I'm not going to be able to multiply loaves and fishes there with that, okay? But... 
it's going to be kind of a working lunch. So it's going to be a good time of fellowship, but it's going to have a session just, just for about 45 minutes or so right before lunch and then another little session right after lunch about how to talk to people about Jesus. We will have child care and, and provided for that, and we're excited about that. Then he'll be with us next Sunday morning. So when you come in here Sunday, uh, Brother Dan will be preaching for us uh, with that. And just to throw that out, I don't, a lot of you know me, I don't normally give up a whole lot of opportunities on Sunday morning, but I do like to give them to people that I know who Christ is to them. And I know how to handle the word of God and how that you can get a blessing from hearing them. People like Kurt LeBeau and, and, and people like Brother Dan and other people that we've had here before. But I encourage you can to be here uh, for that. But as we start this uh, message today, this last sermon, it's kind of bittersweet for me because I've loved being in Acts. We're like, yeah, Phil, we know we started in July. Uh, we, I love being in Acts and it's been good. And I'm looking forward to the next series we're going to do. We'll talk about that later. But before we get into this last chapter of the book of Acts, I'd like for us, if we would, just to pray together. And ask for God to be with us. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, my trust is in you. And let me not be ashamed. As you say in your word, let not our enemies triumph over us. And Lord, I just thank you so much for being God. Lord, nobody in this room could fit the bill of what it would take to be God. That can not just be our creator, but the God that could hear prayers and answer prayers. Lord, as we study this morning in Sunday school, Lord, you're worthy. You're holy, holy, holy. And Lord, I'm not. And I pray, Lord, that you would take, take me as your vessel over the next few moments. Empty me of sin and self. Fill me with your spirit. And Lord, I might say the things that would bring honor and glory to that beautiful name of Christ. And Lord, I pray for us today as a group of people, Lord, that you might speak through your word. Lord, may the word of God speak. May it pour down like rain upon us. Lord, be with those people that are in this room and whatever they're facing. Lord, we're really good about putting on a face, but Lord, we are needy people. Give us exactly from you what we need. Help us to take it and apply it. And Lord, I pray for those working with the children this morning, those in the nursery and the primary church and children's church. Lord, I pray you'd use uh, those people that speak and work with them. Lord, you might speak through them, and may they find favor in the eyes and ears of those children. May you do something great in their life. And Lord, I pray for that person that may be in this room today, or maybe many people that don't know you as their Savior. May today be the day that they receive salvation because of the gift of God. Lord, thank you for this year. Lord, may we give this year back to you in the way that we live, in the way that we think, in the way that we act. We love you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to chapter number 28, and just kind of thinking about we're at the end of, the, we came to the end of the year, we're at the end of the book, but we're actually at the start of a new year. And I kind of thought to myself in preparing these different messages like, okay, Lord, now I need to finish Acts before we get into 2020. And this is always humorous how God's like, I got a better plan if you'll just get out of the way a lot of times. I don't know if you ever feel that way. And how God used us in chapter 27, the story there of the storm. But as we look at chapter number 28, I basically just have a title for you if you want to, on just main three points today. But as we enter into 2020, this next year, I want us to take as the title this, Stay the Course. Stay the Course. And what I mean by that is this, uh, that a lot of times you hear us say around here, stay on the path. And I've used this example before on uh, television, I think it was on uh, Fidelity Life Insurance or, or some kind of 
thing for retirement. It was an example of uh, a man, and the man was walking, and as he was walking, he walked into the place to talk about retirement and these things. He was a younger guy, kind of like myself, maybe a little bit younger. Some of you that look at me think I'm old. I pray for you. But anyhow, uh, and so he goes in there, and he talked to me. He said, this is what you can do, and this is where you can be. If you just stay the course, this is where you can be. And it shows him shaking hands with the agent there and walking out. And as he's walking out, you see this green kind of like it's their, uh, their image, their logo. And as that green thing is going down through the road uh, on the sidewalk, he's walking and he stops for a second. He looks over and he sees this beautiful looking automobile that's sitting right inside in the showroom. And he looks at it and he kind of starts like this. And he really starts thinking about it. And all of a sudden he hears this voice of the agent on the other end yelling, Stay on the path, and he shows him getting back on and keep going that way right there. By the way, there's nothing wrong with having a new automobile. It's not what I'm trying to say. But he was trying to say, if you want to get to where we can show you you can get, you got to stay the course. And I want to talk to us today as maybe as a body of believers, and if you're here and you're not know the Lord, I think we can definitely take some things from here. Anytime the Word of God is proclaimed that you can apply, and, and hopefully God will bless you and speak to you through it. But if we're not careful, 2020 is not going to be any different than 2019 in every person's life in this room. You ain't going to be any closer to God. In fact, there's a natural tendency to pull away from God. We all have that humanity inside of us that said, let's fall away. A lot of times we have good intentions at the beginning of a year. Some of you I know have made uh, New Year's resolutions, goals, prayers, whatever you want to say, that you're shooting for, that if we're all honest, a lot of times kind of wane a little bit when you get to February and March and by the time you get to June, you don't even remember what you really wanted to do differently in your year with it, or you just accept where you go. But I want us to look at the Apostle Paul here in and, and this last chapter that we see in the book of Acts. And, and remember, the book of Acts is not just the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of Christ to the Holy Spirit through his Apostles. And some things that we've been looking at here. But I want to give us some things just to jump right in here is this. What are some ways that you and I for this year can stay the course? Because if we're all honest, we're going to be tempted. We probably have already been tempted in the five days we've been in this year. Just kind of kind of go our own way. Maybe not be quite as close to God, follow God as we should. But I want us to see some things through here of ways that we can stay the course. Number one, to stay the course, we're going to see through Acts chapter 28, we've got to learn how to shake things off. We've got to learn how to shake things off. Now, we're going to come to chapter number 28, and I'm going to read a couple verses here to you. Now, to understand, just for a moment, Paul, if you remember chapter 27, has went through a pretty horrible shipwreck, a shipwreck and a storm. In fact, if you remember from what we looked at last week, they, the storm was so bad for 14 days, they did not know where the sky was. They didn't know stars or sun. It was that bad, that cloudy. For 14 days, the winds and the waves beat on that ship. And they got to the point where they felt like all hope was lost. And I love how Paul says, in the midst of all that, be of good cheer. I believe God. By the way, if you need a title, you need something, a verse for the year, I tell you, Acts chapter number 27 and verse number 25 is a great verse. It says, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Man, how much different would my life be or your life be if we lived this year that I really believe in God in every aspect of my life? But we see here as they come and the ship's about to be broken apart and they all feel like they're about to perish. Paul says, no one's going to die. And it says here in verse number 28, after, excuse me, chapter 28, verse number 1, is when the ship is broken apart in pieces, it says this in chapter 28, verse number 1. And when they were escaped, then they knew the, the island was called Melita or Malta. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us, every one, 
because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat or snake and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. <clears throat> Verse five, and he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or have fallen dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Now that's a pretty interesting little account right there, isn't it? I mean, has it not been enough talking about how we got to this year stay the course, we got to shake things off. That means this, you need to live this year the best you can in glory for God without distractions. You ever try to watch a movie and you got that person that's a movie talker? Okay, I don't want us to lose everything right now, okay? I have tried to watch movies before, and it's not the first movie. It's like the, the sequel or it's whatever next. And the person next to me say, now what does that mean? Who's that? Why do they do that? And I've everyone politely in, in the love of Christ say, shut up, I'll answer you later, okay, is what I want to say. Just watch the movie. He knows what you want to say. With it. What does that mean? What does this mean? And, and so you, you think about these things. You're like, hey, don't talk. Don't, you're, why? Because you're distracting me from what I'm trying to get. Paul has already been shipwrecked. He's been through a pretty horrible storm. Paul, if you remember correctly, forgive me for having to back up a little more. Paul has went to Jerusalem. Paul has had a group of about 40 men that said they actually made an oath and a covenant that they would not eat, sleep, or drink until Paul was dead. We're not going to do anything until we know because they hated Paul. They hated his message of the gospel that salvation came in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was in prison for a while there. They sent him. Uh, he eventually went before Festus and Felix and eventually before King Agrippa in chapter 26. And every place he went, he faithfully proclaimed the word of God. And eventually, because of what he was going through, Paul appealed, I appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen. Meaning that even though he was a Jew, because of Roman citizenship, Paul had the ability to say, in my case, I want my case to be heard by Caesar. That's why he said in chapter 27, he says, be of good cheer, for I must appear to Caesar. He was going to get the opportunity to stand before the most powerful person in all the world and share with him Christ. So he endured all these things, all this shipwreck. And it says that everybody was on the ship, over 200 of them, after the storm had broken the ship apart. And they come, up, come onto the land as they get there and they escaped. It says, what happens? They find themselves on the Isle of Malta after multiple storms that have went through everything that's happened. And they find themselves washed up on shore. Now, if I'm Paul... One, I don't know if I would survive outside of God saying we're never going to survive. But I noticed something about Paul. He didn't get distracted. What I mean by that is this. Paul, it says, because if you read the other verses, what does it say? It was raining. It was dark. It was cold. And it says they got there and these people started building a fire for them. Very unusual. Started building a fire for them. So Paul, instead of sitting there thinking about everything that happened to him, how he'd been victimized, Paul does what? He gets busy. One of the best ways you cannot get distracted in your walk with God is to stay busy for God. If you constantly allow yourself to be distracted, you constantly allow yourself with so much free time in your thoughts and your actions, if you don't stay busy obeying God, you will find yourself distracted from God. You'll find yourself distracted. Because if you're like me, I have good intentions, 
But a lot of times things come and they steal my, my thoughts and the different things. I've even sometimes, to be honest, we have sat down with this book right here to study, to prepare, to only look up later, an hour and a half later, and go, why? I didn't even crack the book. My mind started daydreaming and wondering. You ever pray sometimes, and when you pray, you pray for 30 minutes, but you actually pray for about 27 seconds? Why? Because you started praying, your mind started wondering about different things. Why? Because you got distracted. You get distracted. And when I see here of Paul is that whenever he washed up on shore, it says because of the present rain in verse 2 and the cold, it said Paul went and gathered a bundle of sticks. Paul didn't lay there. Paul, remember, was a prisoner. There were soldiers and there were sailors, all these different people there. You would think that they would start jumping in. They would start making sure everyone's all right. They would start building a fire, start making a camp. But Paul says, no, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to get up. I'm not going to stay in the state that I am. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to try to do what I can to get us some warmth and to keep us alive, to keep us going forward. Let me ask you, how proactive are you in your Christian life? How proactive are you? Some of us live our Christian lives in such a way, well, I'm just going to wait on God. I'm just going to wait for God to tell me what to do. I'm just going to wait for God to bless me. I'm just going to sit here. And I do understand, be still and know that I am God. But that's really meant for when I want to run and God says, wait. When God clearly says, wait. Some of us are the kings and queens of waiting. We're waiting for God to bring us that sign. We're waiting for God to drop that billboard from heaven with chaser lights telling us what to do. When we have God's word that tells us what thus saith the Lord that we should do. And a lot of times we get distracted. I'll be a little honest with you. Just kind of, you know, reputation. Uh, confession's good for the soul, mighty heart, and the reputation. I tell you, if I'm not careful in the ministry that I feel like God's given me here is this. I do everything I can to try to protect the time that I study and the time that I get ready to get up here on Sunday mornings. I try to protect that. Doesn't mean I don't want to talk to you. I, I walk around talking to you all the time. I think I scare some of y'all when I walk around and start talking to you. Sitting out there. I actually joked one day with somebody. I said, I'm actually just going to sit there and see how long it takes Will and Micah and Jeremy to figure out that I'm sitting out there. But what I mean is if I don't protect what we're doing this morning, little things can irritate me. I know no one else gets irritated. It takes big things to irritate you. The rest of you have matured spiritually. Little things don't bother you. I get that. It says the, what the little foxes that spoil the vines, and little foxes get me a lot. I can be irritated by my morning. I can be irritated by a lack of sleep. I could be irritated because of something happened in my house on the way to church. We joke about that all the time. A lot of people, when we get to church, get right with God quickly after being ugly with God and everybody else in the car on the way to church. But if I'm not careful, and I had a friend of mine one time when I was kind of going through a time that just a lot of little things, you know what I mean? Just little things build up. And I don't know about you. You might take one thing and you automatically deal with it. I'm the type of person where I take and take and take and take. And then, unfortunately, that balloon gets so big it just blows up. And I normally feel sorry for who it blows up on. Because normally it's somebody close to me, someone that I love that doesn't deserve that, just being honest with you. They're just the prick that pops the balloon. And a friend of mine looked at me one time and he said, and talking with him, because I have people in my life for that reason that help me with accountability. And he looked at me and said, Phil, you're distracted. You're distracted. Focus on what you're supposed to be doing. He says, I don't care how many good things will happen in your life and how God will bless. There will always be that person, that situation, that circumstance that's going to want to rob that joy of everything that God's doing in your life. And that's why we love to sing the song, What Count Your Blessings, because if we count our blessings, it's amazing what God does. But we're a whole lot better at counting the list of irritations and distractions and the things that aren't going the way we want it to go. 
people aren't doing the things we want them to do. By the way, wouldn't it be nice if everybody did what you wanted them to do? Actually, the answer is no. <laughs> you wouldn't. Because if you're like me, sometimes I even ask and pray God for later on. Say, God, thank you for not answering that the way I asked. You know, I'm glad you didn't answer that. But we get distracted, and Paul stayed busy. He went and gathered sticks, and it says as he was gathering, you see here, uh, when it comes up, what does it say in verse number 3? And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, Paul's staying busy. Paul's very active. And, and some of these things that he's doing, and it said, I guess he picked up this bundle of sticks, and because it had been cold and rainy, a snake, a viper had been in there. And so when he laid it, when he's laying it down, the heat and different things, woke the snake up, and the snake reached up and bit him on the hand. Now, if that happened to me, I'd be doing like the Sanford thing. Oh, Elizabeth, I'm coming to see you. That's it. We're going. I'm checking out. I'd probably be as I'm dying saying, why couldn't you guys get the wood? Why do I got to die? You know, why, it should have been you. You know, well, you guys should have been. Your, but you don't see any of that. And I, I don't know if you, if you notice this. It doesn't say a little gardener snake nipped at him. It says a viper. That, that's, that doesn't sound like a pet that you want to have. And it says it came out of the heat. And then say this bit him. said what? It fastened on his hand. That meant what? It had no intention of letting go. Can I tell you there's going to be things that God through his providence. Because by the way as we looked at last week. God is supremely sovereign over everything in our lives. That means God is in control. He allows things to happen in our life. Ultimately for his glory. But there's going to be things that are going to come at you. This year. That are meant to destroy you. And can I tell you something? They're not going to let go when you want them to let go. Their intention is to fasten onto you and not let go. And just as that snake, as it goes on to say, what does it go on to talk about in verse number um, four? It says, and when the barbarian saw the venomous beast, that does not sound warm and cuddly. So it says a venomous beast. They saw this happening to him, that it fastened on his hand. And you see this happening. I mean, I can imagine it's cold, it's rainy, there's a fire going, snake bites you. Uh, I probably have somebody in my household saying, this is why we don't go camping, okay? This is why we don't do this, okay? Ain't none of these things at the Hampton Inn, okay? Well, this is why we don't do that. But what we see here is that it says that when it bit on him, they, it says, what do he do in verse number five? And he shook off the beast in the fire and felt no harm. Can I tell you what Paul did? Paul got attacked by something that was intending to ruin and destroy him that had fastened on him and he didn't look at it and ponder everything that was going to happen how bad it was going to be woe is me i wish somebody would help me out with this venomous beast right here man I, let me stop for a moment and just kind of pour out my heart in a sob story what do you do he shook it off and can i tell you there's some things that's going to hit your life and probably honestly some things that are still probably hanging on you this year that God's already given you the power. God's already given you the victory. He's already given you the ability through him. We need to shake it off because the longer you let it sit on you and the longer you let it stay attached to you, it's destroying you and making it worse and worse. Some things in life we got to learn to let go. But by the way, this is a great picture of sin. This is why you don't play with sin. Because when sin bites you, sin does has no intention of letting go. It wants to poison your life slowly and destroy your life. And we all are guilty of things in our life, even as believers. 
But we don't see Paul here getting bit by the snake and studying it and saying, well, let's just really see what kind of snake this is. Okay? Does red touch black? Venom black? Is red touch yellow? You don't see him saying, well, is it really that bad of a snake? Is it really going to just hurt me a little bit? Or is it really meant to kill me? You don't see him doing that. You see him shake it off, and I tell you, sometimes we justify sin, and the whole time we're trying to justify why it's okay to let this thing be attached to us and part of our life, it's just filling us and filling us with more poison, drawing us further and further away from God. You want to know if something in your life needs to be shook off? Answer this question. Does this make me love Christ and draw me closer to Christ, or does it draw me further away? That's how you can answer it. There's things in your life that are distractions and they be shook off. Ask yourself this question. In this thought, in this mindset, in this attitude, in this action, will this make me more like Christ or glorify Christ or will this draw me further away? You're like, well, it's not really going to make me more like Christ. It's really not going to glorify God, but it's really not that bad. Can I tell you, those things don't exist. It's one or the other. Just like today, either I'm walking and staying on the course or I'm off the course. If I'm either on it or I'm off it. And we've got to learn some things in our life we've got to shake off. We gotta, some, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not belittling if you're going through a major struggle, major things in your life. I don't think Paul did this. And the power of Paul, everything Paul did that we read about, he did it through the power of Christ. You want to know why Paul could shake off the beast without having a prayer meeting at seven days of services? Because he was already right with God before the snake bit him. Don't wait for the snake to bite you in your life to get right with God. Be right with God before the snake comes. By the way, snake didn't give a warning. Snake didn't give a warning. Snake actually attacked him when he was trying to do something good, not just for himself. But if I may say this, he was trying to do when he was trying to do something good for other people too. Sometimes you get snake bit, not just when you're taking care of yourself. You sometimes get snake bit whenever you're trying to love and help other people. I don't think there's probably a person in this room that hasn't been hurt by someone that they tried to love and help. And some of us, let's just be honest, we're not going to stay here long. The reason that your life and the discouragement and the anger is still there is because you've never taken care of that bitterness of what someone else has done to you when you try to do them right. And they bit you. Let's just be honest. We've all had probably the people that we've done the most for turn on us. Why? Because we're the most vulnerable to them. We're the most fragile with them. And can I tell you, there's things in our life that, you know what, they're going to be on God's control and we just have to shake it off. We've got to let go of that. There's just things in life we've got to realize this. Ultimately, I need to realize something. I really have no control. God is the one with ultimate control. When I walk out these doors, I can tell you I'm going to live to be 90 years old. But I really, I mean, I have things that I can do to influence that. So some of you are like, cool, I can go home and eat Twinkies all day long. Some of you can, that's not what I'm talking about. We can do things to influence it. But can I tell you something in your life? Ultimately, God is the giver and taker of life. He's the one that knows the storm that you're in. He knows the storm, how you're going to get out of it. He knows how you're going to endure with it. And he lovingly is right there, as we said last week, saying, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. The promise is, I leave and forsake him. You're like, I feel so far from God. Let, let me lovingly ask you a question. Who moved? Who moved? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm right there. And I just find so humbling so many times that a God that loved me enough to forgive me and save me is willing even when now, as I do many times, even times this year, turn my back on him and get distracted. And he say, you know what? I'm still willing to forgive you and show grace now because that's how much I want to have a fellowship and a relationship with you. 
and I see how he shook off the things in his life. Let me ask you, in your life spiritually, what's stopping you from being closer to Christ? What's keeping you from taking that next step? Paul even says, I have not apprehended, but this is one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, meaning not just that they're not worthy of anything, but what he's saying is, I'm not going to cling on to past glory, the good old days, but I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, if you're alive and you're breathing today, God still has things for you to strive for and to glorify him for. Love and thank God for the past, but don't let the past, don't let the past successes and victories in your life be the graveyard of today for your life spiritually. A lot of people are dead today spiritually because they cling to the good old days of that and shake things off. And you say, well, Phil, why do I need to do that? Why do you stay in the course? Okay, shake things off. I got it. I know it's going to be difficult. I didn't say it was going to be easy. But why do we need to shake things off and keep going? Well, another part of it is this, because there's people watching. Look, look in verse number four again. Now, remember, this ship had prisoners. Paul was a prisoner, all these people on here. And look in verse four. And when the barbarians, or the natives there of the island, saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. In verse five. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit, they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he is a God. All right, so another reason we need to learn how to in our lives spiritually, when things hit us and things want to destroy us and things break our hearts, I'm not saying we're callous to things, but the reason we need to shake things off and go forward is this, because there are people watching you. Can I tell you something, mom and dad, your children are watching how you handle adversity in your life. My children are watching me. Grandparents just go, the kiddos are gone, and you like to see the grandkids come, and you like to see the grandkids even go and all that good stuff. Can I tell you, they're watching how you deal with adversity. They're watching how you deal when things hit your life that you didn't ask for, but they're also asking how you deal with things when you bring things on your life that are self-induced. And I tell you, sometimes the loudest message I will ever preach will not be from right here in the lives of my children. It will be by the way that I live my life. Don't live your life in such a way that your kids plug their ears spiritually to the things that you say out of your mouth. It'll fall on deaf ears. And in our lives, these people, these, these, these barbarians sit around, they saw uh, Paul get bit. And when they saw Paul get bitten, they saw it fasten on his hands. They basically said what a lot of Southerners say. He did. He done. He's a murderer. He deserves what's given to him. The, 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 the powers that be let him escape. But <laughs> karma, which no such thing, came around to him and said, oh, hey, he's going to die right here. They're going to get him. He ain't going to escape that. And they looked at him and said, you're a murderer. Then Paul shook it off. And it says this. Now, I don't know if you noticed this in verse 6. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. They expect that. Now, look at the next part. But after they had looked a great while. Can I tell you what that means? They didn't just look for a second. They watched him. After he shook it off, they said, let's see if he starts swelling up. Okay, he should be falling dead right now. He did. Let's keep watching him. And they watched him and watched him. And watched him. And you know what? There's going to be people in your life that may only see you for a few moments of life. But can I tell you some of the greatest testimonies for Christ 
is when us as believers, the people that are without Christ, or those people that maybe be a little bit away from Christ, see our lives and they watch us for a great while. Because let's just be honest, they want to see if it's the real thing. There's going to be people in your life that are going to scoff you. There's going to be doubters. And you're like, man, I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to do these things. Can I tell you the best thing you can do? Keep being faithful. And if I may say this, and you let me lean in on you for a moment. Being faithful to God ain't being faithful to God one week or one month. You want those people around you to know that you love God and you're trying to stay on the path? Be faithful day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Second Corinthians says, moreover, is required in stewards that a man or woman be found faithful. To be found faithful means you have to be faithful before they find you. And in your life, the best thing you can do is, of course, take opportunities with people, as we'll see in a moment. But the, one of the best things you can do is just keep being faithful to Christ, whether there's snakes biting you in your life or whether everything's going great. Be faithful to God. Because I tell you, one of the worst things you can do is beat on people and bash people and not be faithful to God. You're cutting your legs out from underneath you. That's what you're doing. It's like me going up and telling my kids, hey, don't you talk to someone like that. Hey, don't you act like that. And then me get angry about something in my life, and then I try to justify it. And you ever say, well, it's okay because I'm an adult. You're losing credit with those kids. You're losing credit with those people. And in our lives, we need to remember that these says, what he says about these people. And it says, and they looked for a great while. And they looked for a great while. And what it says, and they saw that no harm came to him. Look what the next part says in verse 6. They changed their minds. Can I ask you a question? Will the way you live your life this year help other people change their minds about Christ? Will the way that you live your life, and let me add this. Will the way that you live your life as you've been bitten by the things of the world help people change their minds about who God is and the grace and love of God? Because I've got to tell you, people that are lost and people that are kind of far away from God that are believers, they do need to see me in the good times praising God, but they need to see me when I'm bit. They need to see me when I'm down. They need to see me still faithful and true and still see me and live and let them look at me for a long time and let them watch me and let them watch you. And will it help them change their mind about God? They said, you're a murderer, okay? And they said he got bit. He shook it off. They watched for a long while and they watched and watched and he didn't fall over dead and he didn't get swollen. And they said, no, he ain't a murderer. He's a God. Now, by the way, that's not the goal either for someone to think of you're a God, okay? That's not exactly. Some of you are like, that's my life first. So that's what I'm looking for. And that's not the goal either. But the Bible does say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, but that they, not you, that they may glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I'm to live in such a way that when people look at me, that they glorify God. They glorify God. See, we think that verse means, let me live in such a way that others see me, I can glorify God, which I should. But it says, let my light so shine that when they see me, they are drawn to a better and clearer appreciation and love for God. But we'll shake things off. I like that one, number one. Number two. And part in staying the course is this, number two. Be thankful for courage-giving fellowship. 
You say, fill out the mouthful. I'll explain it to you, okay? Be thankful for courage, giving, fellowship. We can't go through everything in this chapter. You know me. If I stayed with every verse, we'd be here till. well, we'd just be here a long time. And so it says after all this happened, and it was kind of a cool miracle that happened there on the island, they eventually get to leave and get on a ship, and they start going, and they kind of get, you know, detained again and delayed. But then you come to verse number 14. Remember, Paul's ultimately going to Rome, right? He's ultimately going to Rome. And look what it says down in verse 14. Talking about going to Rome. He says, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appi, Forum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, and Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Now, I want to tell you, in verse number 15 right here, I love that two-part phrase that's right there. So Paul comes to Rome. Paul's endured everything he's endured. And look what he says at the end of verse 15 when he got to see other believers that he had been writing to. He says, and when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Can I tell you, up to this point, Paul's life, he's been through persecution, he's been through beatings, he's been through shipwreck, he's been through all these trials, and Paul finally makes it to Rome. He finally gets there, and when he gets to Rome, by the way, that's why I read chapter, excuse me, verse 16, he's actually for two years under house arrest. He's under house arrest, and later on it will say this too, he's under house arrest under his own dime. It cost him. When he appealed to go to Rome, he says, all right, you'll be placed under house arrest for so long until your trial comes, but it was on his dime. So Paul was willing, actually paid for himself to be in prison just so he could have the opportunity to be with those believers that he wrote to in the book of Romans that we read about, and then also the opportunity to speak to Caesar. But it says when he gets there, these brothers, these sisters in Christ met him, and I like what it says in verse number 15, and the, the fellow believers, this family of God came to him, what Paul says when he sees him, I thank God for you. Part of the way of staying on course is being thankful for the people God puts in your life. Can I tell you, I'm very thankful for the people God's put in my life. This year, God, this past year, God's put people in my life that, you know, I didn't really expect and people I didn't really even know some. And over the years that we've been here, pretty much everybody in this room outside of my wife and kids, I didn't know any of you other, other than Micah for eight years ago. But God has put us together. Some of you are like, yeah, Phil, I, I know. He's put us together. But he's put us together for a purpose, to encourage one another, to fellowship one another, to be there for one another. Because as much as people like to say, I'm okay by myself, we're really not okay by ourselves, let's be honest. And what Paul says when he gets here, he sees these people and he thinks in his life, he says, thank you, God, for those people that you put in my life around me to encourage me and give fellowship. Can I tell you one of the best, one, not the best reason, but one of the reasons I love meeting here at our church I love that we can take the word of God and share it together. In times, we even have times where we be caught back and forth. I love the times that we can fellowship together as a body of believers. Because let's be honest, we're not better than anyone else. But if you're not careful, people that don't know God and you try to fellowship with them, we're just going two different ways. The road they're going is not the road you're going. And you're not better than them. The difference is Christ in your life. Let's just be honest. And ultimately, we wish that Christ was in their life. Is really what you want. But I tell you, some of the things that helped me out and through some of the darkest days 
in the short time I've been in ministry is this, is fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that God has surrounded me with called a church family. That's why we call it a family, not a club. We're here today as a church family. We're not here today as the club, social club that meets at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Because if we're a club, we might as well close the doors and go on. We're a family that we're hoping that God enhances and brings more in. Why? Because we want to be large? No, because he's worthy for everyone to put their faith and trust in him because he is holy, holy, holy. And we want that encouragement. It says this, thanking God for them. Let me ask you, when's the last time you thank God for the people he's put in your life? I tell you, that really hit me between the eyes. You say, Phil, well, I'm thankful for some people. Some people, they're constant. I got to work, and I got to work, and I got to work, you know. But in everything, give thanks. The Bible says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God has put people in your life. They're not perfect. Ain't none of us perfect. Ain't none of us ever going to be perfect as long as we're breathing in and out. And I kind of like breathing in and out. But can I tell you, God put people in your life. Moments times, years, decades, lifetimes. And they're believers that struggle. But he puts them in your life. Why? To encourage you, to help you. Can I tell you with kind of a little thing with this? Be thankful for them and don't push them away. We live in a day and age of pride where we want to be independent and we want to push people away. When we get hurt, when we don't like their opinion, I tell you, the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You need those people in your life that, let's just be honest, are going to be honest with you. You say, Brother Phil, that is the spiritual gift I got, correction. I don't mind correcting anybody. That is not what we're talking about here. It's all right to correct, to admonish, and help people when you do it with a desire to see them better, not for you just to be right. When you love somebody, you don't have a desire to be right. You have a desire to see them be right with God. And it's really hard sometimes to accept that. Because, as I mentioned on in Wednesday night, we're honestly the people that we're closest to and we love, we're, we're the shortest with. Our grace runs out with those people quicker than it does anybody else. And we're not going to live there. <laughs> I'll jump back off that because I struggle there. Okay? But in our lives and understanding, Paul gets here after everything Paul's went through, and he gets there and he says, oh, thank God for you people. I th and he stopped, God, thank you for those people. I tell you, many of you will walk out these doors and you'll go right back into a storm, a trial, shipwreck, defeat, persecution, discouragement, and just to pull back in here on a Sunday morning. You're coming in, why? Because you just want to say, thank you, God, I can just be with people that love me and accept me, but also want me to do more. Can I tell you, God does love you where you're at but he loves you enough to not let you stay where you're at. And God puts people in your life, people in my life, they stay on the path. Don't bark at the people that are trying to help you stay on the path. There's a world out there that'll tell you anything you want to hear. Do you, be you, whatever it is. You don't need that noise. But what you need to realize is be thankful for who God has. I tell you, I thank God for our church family. I love it. And it fluctuates, you know, as far as in size. And if God helps us grow really large, I want to praise God. And if God drops us down to a lower mark, you know what? I want to praise God anyways. And thank God for the ones that are faithful and God has here. Anytime anyone talks about joining our church, you know, I always tell them, 
as I tell them that I want you to be here as long in the season that God wants you here. I want you to be here. Because if it's not the time God wants you here, I want you to be wherever God wants you to be, not so I can look and count a few more people. It's not about that. It's about staying on the path. It's about helping going down the path. And I tell you, you people help me stay on the path. And I want to pray by God's grace, I help you a little bit in what I do to stay on the path. And staying on that path is going to be thankful for you. We've all heard the phrase, what if you woke up tomorrow with only the things you thank God for today? What would you wake up to? Would you wake up? What if all you had tomorrow is what you thank God for today? Would you have health? Would you have life? Would you have family? Would you have friends? Would you have the Bible? Would you have God? Would you have prayer? What would you have? I don't want to answer that question. But we see here being thankful. And he says in this verse, and when Paul saw them, he thanked God, but it also said the second part of this, and he took courage. Can I tell you why we need the fellowship of the local body of believers? Is because we need that fellowship to encourage. Paul said when he saw them and, he saw, and they saw him and he saw them, that they came and encouraged him. Can you imagine encouraging Paul? I mean, the apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest Christians ever lived, and you had the opportunity to encourage him. Some of you in this room feel like there's people, you feel so bad about yourself, so lowly about, well, I can never do anything, be a blessing to them. You're wrong. You'd be amazed what a smile, a, a friendly uh, a face would be, a handshake, a text, a friendly voice, sit with somebody, do some, pray for somebody, check on somebody, do those things. You'd be amazed at how just a little bit of care will go a long way to encourage somebody. What is that phrase? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that shouldn't just happen on Sundays. We should be doing that in our lives. That's what Acts has all been about. Acts when it didn't say in Sundays. It says, and daily in the temple in every house, they cease not to teach, preach, and that also means to live the life of Christ. We ought to do that and doing those things and those fellowship. You know, I thank God for those situations where I see some of you and I come in here and I know I smile a lot, show you both my teeth. I know I get excited sometimes. But I tell you, sometimes just a handshake with you, I'm really not trying to encourage you. I just know by being around you, you're going to encourage me. Can, can I just, I'll throw this and we'll go on. That's why I love the time of worship and singing, because when y'all sing out, it just uplifts me. But when it's crickets, I start thinking to myself, okay, Lord, wh wh what's wrong today? What are they discouraged about today? What are they bitter about today? What are they angry about today? Wh what can I do? What can I, you know, I start to wonder that. That's why it's, you say, Phil, I, I, I can just make a joyful noise. Well, make it sing. Praise God. Thank God. Do in that way where we encourage one another in that. So be thankful for the courage-giving fellowship. And then lastly, number three. The way to stay the course is to seize gospel opportunities. To seize or take advantage of gospel opportunities or gospel proclaiming opportunities so remember paul's got there paul's under house arrest for two years everything that's happened to him you would think if anybody was going to take a vacation it would be paul he's paying for the prison that he's staying in he's paying for all this stuff and look what paul does i mean you go right into verse 17 and it came to pass after three days paul called the chief of the jews together and when they were come <coughs> excuse me together and when they were come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs or our fathers, yet was I delivered a prisoner from Jerusalem 
into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. And I'll stop there for a second. What Paul starts to do in verses 17 all the way down through verse number 23, what Paul starts to do is let the other believers there at Rome and all the other believers know something. He started to take advantage of telling them about Christ. I tell you, even one, and I'll take just a moment if you don't mind, bear with me. Back in chapter 26, in chapter 26, talking about just taking advantage of the opportunities. Remember what I said, Paul on his way to Rome stood before governors and kings, and one of those kings was a king called Agrippa. And in that, by the way, you know the, the conversion of Saul when, when God on the, road to, on the road to Damascus appeared, when Jesus appeared to Paul and he got saved. When you actually read a more detailed account of that conversion in chapter 26, verses uh, 12 down through 23, we're not going to read them. But here's what Paul says about seizing gospel opportunities and what we need to do is this. When he's talking to Agrippa, the king, when he's talking to him, here's what he says to him in verse 17. Here is the purpose and plan that God has for me. In verse 17, he said, delivering of chapter 26, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. He said, now here's the point. Here's my purpose. Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And can I tell you something? Every single person in here that knows the Lord is their Savior ought to be doing that right there. Paul says, you know what my purpose is? My purpose is, as it says in verse 18 of chapter 26, is to open the eyes of those that are in darkness. Let me ask you, how are you doing or what's your plan this year help those people that are in darkness come to the light of the gospel of Christ. You say, Phil, that's what we pay you to do. No, I'm here proclaiming the word of God to believers, and if there's believers here, may they hear it. But can I tell you, if the church is the only thing that happens inside these green walls, then we have failed. The church must leave these doors and be the church, and everyone sees the opportunities that God gives you. Sometimes opportunities come in the form of work. Sometimes opportunities come in the form of time. Sometimes opportunities just fall in your lap. You weren't prepared for it. But a way to stay the course is to seize those gospel-proclaiming opportunities that God gives you. Paul could have just made his case with Agrippa. But he says, Agrippa, let me tell you about how I came to a man called Jesus. Let me tell you what he wants me to do. He wants me to help open the eyes of those that are in darkness. And he says what? And help turn those there from the power of Satan unto God. Why? Why does, why does he say God wants me to help turn those from light, from darkness to light? Why does he want me to help turn those people from the power and penalty of sin and Satan unto God? Because I love what it says in the middle of that verse, that they might receive forgiveness of sins. Can I tell you what you and I, before we come to faith in Christ, our greatest need is? Forgiveness of sin. It ain't church membership. It ain't being baptized. It's not joining the church. It's not doing these things. The greatest thing we need to let people know is there's a God that loves them and he desires to forgive their sins. And it only says, and then give them an inheritance, which is heaven. And he says, by that faith that comes in him. And this is why we are to live separated lives. This is why we're to shake things off. This is why we should stay faithful in enduring the storms that we face. 
And I just want to take a moment. Maybe, maybe you're in here today and you're an unbeliever. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe your friend uh, invited you, and you might be here today saying, Phil, are you trying to convert me? Yes, I sure am. I'm trying to get you to understand that there's a God that's worth turning away from everything and turning to and going forward to. And there's a God that wants to give you gladness and joy in the obedience that you can have in pursuing him. Yes, you say, Phil, I'm trying to convert you today. Yeah, because I want you to know him. I don't want you to know me. My greatest prayer in 2020 is this idea is that when I get through preaching, any time that I preach, it's not that you know me more, but that you know him more. And we ought to take every advantage we can to help people see Christ and the way we live our lives and the gospel opportunities that we have. We, we're not trying to be sub subversive here. It's not a program. We really are praying for you. Can I tell you, if you're here and you're not saved, you're not a project to us. You're a soul that God loves, and he wants to see you glorify him with your life. You're not a notch on the belt that we saw this many people saved, this many people baptized, this many people turned from this. It's not that. It's that you have a soul that God desperately, desperately, desperately wants to see reconciled to him. You are that. And that's what we want. And that's why even in, in chapter 27, when he stands before Agrippa, Paul even goes on to say, he says, Agrippa, I know you believe. Tell me you agree this. And you get some of the most hurtful, sorrowful, saddening words that you get at the end of a sermon that Paul gets from Agrippa. Agrippa looks at him and says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. Can I just tell you something today? If you're here and you're kind of wondering about this whole thing about salvation and Christianity, almost ain't going to get you into heaven. Almost faith is no faith. It's either faith in Christ or it's not. It's either a commitment or it, it isn't. There's no such thing as an almost commitment. And that almost isn't. And Paul even goes on to say, he said, other than these chains that I'm in, I wish that all men were like me, not meaning who he was, but meaning who what had been done in his life, that he knew Christ. That's what he says in that. And the last picture we get, if you just look and... In closing with this, the last two verses of the book of Acts. And I appreciate your attention today. So Paul takes advantage of his opportunity. Paul shares Christ. And there's some people, as we've read about all through Acts, that accept it and rejoice, and there's some that, that reject it. Same thing happened here. But it says in the last two verses of the book of Acts, and Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Now, what I want you to understand is this. <clears throat> Paul was going to take every chance he could get to share Christ with people. He was going to share Christ with everyone. And the last picture we get of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts is a man under house arrest awaiting for his trial to stand before Caesar. And without hesitation, but with all boldness, and even on his own dime, you see him share the gospel, as it says there in verse 30, with anyone that was willing to hear. With anyone that was willing to hear. History tells us, somewhere between A.D. 62 and A.D. 67, Paul gets that trial. And history tells us the apostle Paul got to stand before Caesar, the most powerful person in all the world. Waiting two years, by the way, you get the wonderful books of what we call the prison epistles. You get the books of, uh, uh, you get Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. He writes that in these last two years. 
So Paul gets to go before Caesar, and I truly believe in looking through history, Paul got the opportunity to do what probably no one else had to do, got to do. He got to stand before Caesar and tell him who Jesus Christ is, faithfully proclaim Christ to him. And history tells us somewhere between A.D. 62 and A.D. 67, after Paul proclaims Christ to Caesar, that they take him to the outsides of the city, put him on his knees, and chop his head off and kill him. But Paul got to do what Paul ultimately said back in Acts chapter 20, that I may finish my course with joy. Paul had the opportunity, which he always says in the book of Acts and other books that you read by him, that he will live to his last day proclaiming Christ to whoever will hear, that he will die proclaiming Christ. Now you're saying, Phil, I don't think I really want to be like Paul. Can I just be honest with you? I dare say, I'm not, I can't say without absolute certainty, but can I dare say that God's probably not going to ask anyone in this room to die for him like Paul? But can I tell you something? I'd like every one of us to live for him. See, some of us are so scared of the persecution that we don't ever live for him. He's probably never going to ask you to die for him, but he does ask us to live for him. And this whole sermon series that we looked at, can I tell you, back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it started with 120 people. Started in an upper room with 120 men and women. And Jesus says, but ye shall receive power. And you know what? We're here today because those 120 people stayed the course. Say, Phil, what's the purpose of this? It's 2020. It's a new year. It's our turn. It's our turn. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, teenager. It's our turn to stay the course. It's our turn to pick up and let whatever Acts 29 is, which, by the way, would be your life and mine. Let's pick it up and let's stay on the path. Because, as it says, and I know I say it a lot, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. In your life and in your marriage and your family, it's our turn to pick it up and keep shaking things off. Keep being thankful for the encouragement. But keep taking advantage of every gospel opportunity God gives us. Because every person in this room had somebody that we thank God for took that opportunity with you and with me. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for the day.